Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Wyoming. I'm Mark Hamilton, your host, and today we'll be taking a look at our Wyoming weather. We'll be talking about a couple of road trips here in the state. Also, we'll be having our mental health moment for the month of June. And finally, we'll look at the diamond hoax, a bonanza that never was. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy the show. Taking a look at Wyoming weather here on the first day of June. Been a busy week. A little bit of rain. Rain in the forecast for here on the first. Little showers at night. Looks like the next three or four days we have some pretty good chances. Some considerable amount of moisture. We just got back from a trip from across to Sheridan again. I had to make a trip over to Sheridan on Tuesday. And then on Wednesday I made a trip down to Denver and back. And the country definitely is green everywhere. It is just unbelievable, the views, and how gorgeous our country is when we get this rain. And I just keep my fingers crossed that we have one of these type of years where we continue to get the rain. And it's just unbelievable. It's really soothing out there. It's relaxing on the trips. are just enjoyable. But right now here in Wyoming, as I said before, we have cool nights been warming up a little bit during the day till these thunderstorms come rolling through. We get a little bit of a shower and it cools things down. So looks like the month of June right now, we look like we have moisture and it's pretty nice out there. Good travel weather, cool weather. Not a lot of people on the road yet, but there are people on the road depending on where you are. There's road construction everywhere. Of course, as we said here in Wyoming, we have winter and then we have road construction which makes travel a little bit uh, troublesome. But right now, nobody can really complain with our weather. It's definitely, you don't have to worry about water in your grass. And, uh, of course, I guess the other complaint would be you got to mow your grass a lot, keep track of all your grasses out in the pastures and different things. But right now, here in Wyoming, it's cloudy, looks like rain in the forecast. It's green Wyoming. As we get into this month of June, we're talking about travel, and I had an opportunity to make a trip on Sunday. We went, my wife and I went on a journey from here in Thermopolis, Wyoming. We went up to Grable, and then we took 14 up through Shell and went up uh, the above Shell, took that up the mountain road. And it is just an unbelievable trip. It's it's amazing. It's been a while since I've been up that way. But just a lot of things to go to. Shell Falls is there. You can pull off and walk over and take a look at Shell Falls. And you continue up. And it's it's unbelievable, the scenery. And it is definitely one that you've got to keep your eye on the road. And it's hard to look at that beautiful scenery. But got up to Burgess Junction. And, of course, we're treated to a site of a group of moose up there were out and about. Of course, it was raining and everything is green in that country. And then we took the trip back down on 14A and unbelievable up there. Of course, everything is wet. It is definitely, you got to be careful getting off road. There are some muddy tracks around the area, but it's just a, a trip that haven't been on for a long time. And it, 
I tell you, it might be one of my favorite ones now. It, in comparison, going up to the Beartooth Highway, actually in some parts of it I like better on this route. But uh, 14A is not open year-round. It had been closed during the winter months, but they had it back open. And it is a steep decline as you're getting out of there. And you have to make sure that you're watching yourself, make sure if you've got a trailer or such, you want to make sure you have good brakes and, and such. But it was cloudy up there and kind of cool. And um, we took a few little jaunts off the road. But coming back down, it was amazing. It was cloudy up in the mountains. And you're at about 9,500 feet right there. And you look down, and it looked like there was a like a lake down below us, and it was the blue skies. Of, you could see down into the Bighorn Basin. And so we stopped quite a few places and, and just took and, and looked at what was out there and the beautiful view. Again, we always know that God was definitely created this world, created our planet, created this earth with the magnitude and the beauty that uh, we have. And we made it into Lovell. We stopped in Lovell and got a couple drinks, and then we got a chance to go a, a new route out of Lovell, heading south. And we went, and it comes out and ties into the Powell Emblem Road. And we went that way and then took a right and came back into Burlington. Had a chance to stop in Burlington and have a pizza at the Burlington Place. I highly recommend stopping there to have pizza. Got to have that pizza, and it was definitely relaxing. Didn't have to worry about supper. And then we took the road back across to Matizzi and then back into Thermopolis. And the whole trip was just unbelievable. The scenery and the varying sceneries we saw going that back way from Lovell towards Burlington and across to Matizzi. You see a little bit of everything coming out of Lovell. You get in more into the Badlands. But even the Badlands are just absolutely gorgeous right now with all this green, green we're having. Again, it is raining. We had rain, as we talked about. Looks like we're going to have rain in the future. But there's a trip right now, and there's a lot of options on that trip. You can, as we said before, you can come over from the Sheridan side and come across. Um, so when you get up onto Burgess Junction, you take either a left on 14A, which would take you back to level. Or you can go ahead and come back and stay on 14 and then come off the mountain and come into Ranchester and then hit Interstate 90 down to Sheridan and Buffalo. And then from there you can head on south if you're going to go to Casper or you can take a left on 90 and continue on 90, I should say, and head over toward the Black Hills. Or you can take that right and go over 16, which we talked about last week is the Black Yellow Highway which goes over the Bighorns out of Buffalo, which will take you to Powder River Pass and back to Tent Sleep and Worland. So you have a lot of options. And for a day trip, it was just a, it was a great trip. And I'm glad that we made it. And I saw some spots up there that I'm, I will guarantee you we'll be back up there many more times to take a look at that country. But again, that's what we do here in Wyoming. We have that available and it's just a nice day. And get away from some of the hustle and bustle. There's not much going on. Not a lot of people up there. But uh, it's our state of Wyoming. And we love it. We'd like to welcome back Marcy for our 
June mental health moment. Marcy, how's everything going? Hey, thanks, Mark. Today I want to touch on anxiety and some ways to counter it on your own. Because I know it's a common thing that we often face, and it's a common reason people enter therapy. So um, a lot of times, uh, you know, different things can happen in our lives that can make us anxious. But often it could be our lifestyle choices or different things that we can make quick fixes for and change. Um, So I'd like to touch on some different coping skills and then uh, some other lifestyle changes that could be suggested to help reduce anxiety. All right. That sounds like that's going to be something that's going to be really uh, a good topic for this month. Thanks, Mark. So um, one of the first areas that they suggest is that you eliminate soda, energy drinks, or those quad shot frappuccinos. So um, eliminating both caffeine and sugar is a great way to reduce anxiety. Uh, Often that jack in um, your system of the caffeine and the sugar um, actually affects our central nervous system. And that can deplete vitamins and minerals and wreak havoc not only on your physical body, but cause increased anxiety. The next area they suggest is to trim the fat from your budget. So financial stress is the common reason people are anxious. And with the cost of things going up due to inflation, often people are feeling very stressed and spread thin. So they suggest to budget to reduce maybe those monthly subscriptions that we have or those non-essentials. For example, you know, maybe cutting Netflix or the coffee in the morning on the way to work. So that is another area that you can eliminate some anxiety from your life. The other area is sleep. So I know a lot of people stay up late. You're watching shows. You're working on things. Going to bed early, even if it's 30 minutes earlier than you normally go to sleep, is a big way to reduce that um, anxiety and, you know, that feeling of dread waking up and not being fully rested. Okay, that, that is a good point. Um, another area, I think, too, is to reduce negative people in your life. Often when people have a lot of anxiety, they'll describe having toxic friends or maybe people that aren't really helping them with their personal goals. So determining which people in your life are adding value, are they, are they adding value to the things that you want to accomplish? Are they, you know, a person that you look up to? If not, then maybe cutting those people out of your life is a good way to reduce anxiety. You know, and one thing about it, we're in the month of June, so it is getting a little bit sunnier. And so a lot of people can get out and get that sunshine, which always helps with our well-being. Yes, I agree, Mark. I think exercise, that's the last area. You know, um, exercise is the most underused tool, and it's the best way to counter anxiety. Go walk your dog. Go have a jog. Maybe go take a yoga class. A lot of people notice a very, very large reduction in anxiety when they have good sleep. They're not eating junk. They're not hanging out with toxic people, and they're moving their body. Well, good, Marcy. Well, again, um, I appreciate those. Uh, anything else you have for us today? You know, that's all. Um, I do say, though, if, if you've done all these different tools and you're still noticing a high level of anxiety, you know, go meet with your, your doctor or a local therapist because sometimes it can take just opening up and coming up with a game plan to help reduce anxiety, but it's, it's one of the most common things. So 
realize that we all have those times where maybe we're nervous or stressed and it's, it's kind of a part of life, but if, if it's impacting your daily life, there's no reason that you can't just get some help and, and see if you can come up with some ideas for ways that you can get back to your old, old way of functioning. You know, that is a good point, Marcy. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are a lot of platforms out there that you can even go online and, um, you really don't have to meet with somebody in person if you're a little bit intimidated that there is a lot of stuff out there for us that uh, can help. Yeah, Mark, like um, BetterHelp um, is, is one that I work with and I find it very helpful. And, you know, they offer your first week is free to try it out to see if, if that would be something that would add value to your life. Well, good, Marcy. Again, thanks for coming on for the month of June. And we are always looking forward to the month of July and see what you'll have for us then. Thanks, Mark. Today in our history section, we're going to go to wildhistory.org for the Diamond Hoax, A Bonanza That Never Was by Dick Bluss Jr. It began late in 1870 with two weather-beaten prospectors, cousins originally from Kentucky, named Philip Arnold and John Slack. They appeared at the San Francisco office of George D. Roberts, a financier and businessman who, some said, was a man willing to move swiftly, perhaps too swiftly, when opportunities arose. They were carrying a leather bag containing something valuable, they said, which they had been unable to deposit at the Bank of California due to the late hour. They wanted to find a safe place for it. At first reluctant to talk, they finally revealed the bag's contents to Roberts. Rough diamonds, a lot of them, all from the fabulous gem field somewhere in the West. They refused to discuss the location. Roberts agreed to absolute secrecy, a promise he immediately broke, telling two other men about the gems, William C. Ralston, founder of the Bank of California, and Asbury Harpeting, an adventurer and one-time would-be Confederate swashbuckler. Paulson, one of the wealthiest and most powerful men in California, had made his fortune investing in the silver bonanza that was Nevada's Comstack Lode, among other things. During the Civil War, Harpeting traveled secretly to Richmond, Virginia, where he and several accomplices obtained a letter of marquee, a piracy license from the Confederate President Jefferson Davis to outfit a San Francisco schooner named the J.M. Chapman as a privateer sailing the captured gold on the high seas to support the Confederacy. The scheme was swarfed by the Union officers and the San Francisco police. Harpenting found himself arrested, convicted of treason, and sentenced to 10 years at the military prison on Alcatraz. Within a few months, President Lincoln granted amnesty to all political prisoners who would agree to take up and keep the oath of the allegiance. And keep the oath of allegiance. Harpeting complied and was released in 1864. He had been engaged in a variety of ventures, some successful, some not, in real estate, railroad, and mining. By 1870, both Ralston and Harpeting were promoting a new project called the Mountain of Silver in New Mexico. Harpeting at the time was in England seeking overseas investors. The two men were enthralled as Roberts by the Gemfield story, and Harpeting told a friend in London that he must hurry home as they had got something that would astonish the world, and hurry he did, driving back in San Francisco of May of 1871. Arnold and Slack had kept busy in the meantime. 
on later visits to Roberts, they told him they returned to the diamond field and recovered 60 pounds of diamonds and rubies worth a half million dollars. His enthusiasm mounting, Roberts drew two more prominent mining entrepreneurs into the mix, General George S. Dodge, a former union officer, and William Lent, who, like Ralston, had been a prominent investor in the Comstock load. Keeping the Diamond Field location a strict secret in return for an investment partial buyout of 50000 in cash, Arnold and Slack agreed to return there and bring back even more stones, which they claimed would be worth millions. The San Francisco investors agreed. The pair left San Francisco, headed not for any spectacular frontier field of gemstones, but for London. There, under assumed names, they purchased about $20,000 worth of rough, uncut diamonds and rubies from a London gem merchant. When they returned to San Francisco and presented the stones, thousands of them to Roberts, Ralston, Harpending, Dodge, and Lent, as their latest haul from the remote gemstone field, spread out on the sheet of Harpending's billiard table, as he would later write, the stones seemed like a dazzling, uncolored cataract of light. And well they might, for they were real. In fact, all the stones Arnold and Slack produced were genuine, yet very low grade. As a bookkeeper for a San Francisco drill manufacturer that used diamond tip bits, Arnold had shown great interest in the industrial grade diamonds used and almost certainly helped himself to cast offs. It was these he and Slack showed Roberts during their first visit to his office, mixed with rubies, garnets, and sapphires likely purchased from Indians in Arizona. The rest were bought in England. It was decided that 10% of this batch of stones would be taken to New York for examination and appraised by Charles Lewis Tiffany of Tiffany & Company, the Ionic jewelry store still in business in Manhattan. Among others present at the appraisal were Major General George McClellan of Civil War fame and one-time presidential candidate, Congressman Benjamin Butler of Massachusetts, Horace Greeley, editor of the New York Tribune, and several high-profile bankers. Tiffany pronounced the gems genuine, setting their value at about 150000 which, by his call, made the latest stone delivered to the partners worth $1.5 million. Back in San Francisco, the investors found the San Francisco and New York Mining and Commercial Company to promote the sale of shares of stock in their venture. They displayed trays of gems in jeweler Williams Willis's window. Though by now completely dazzled, the investors set a final condition. Arnold and Slack had yet to reveal the Diamond Fields location, and they not only wanted the pair to guide an inspection team to the site, they wanted an independent expert of their choice, a much-respected mining engineer named Henry Jannon, to go along. The Kentuckians agreed with one condition. The party would be blindfolded along the final leg of the journey. By June of 1872, the inspection party, Arnold, Slack, Jannon, Dodge, and Harpening, and an English friend of Harpening's named Alfred Rubery, traveled by train to Rollins, sometimes identified in older accounts as Rollins or Rollins Springs, in south-central Wyoming Territory. From there, they continued on horseback. For four days, Arnold and Slack led the group along a confusing route along long stretches of rough country. The two often appeared to be or pretended to be lost and had to climb heights along the route to get their bearings. On June 4th, they arrived at the spot, a broad mesa dominated by cone-shaped mountains to the south. With only a few minutes, Rubbery gave a yell. 
He held up something glittering in his hand. It was a diamond, fast enough. Any fool could see that much. Then he began to have all kinds of luck, Janin recalled later. For more than an hour, diamonds were being found in profusion, together with occasional rubies, emeralds, and sapphires. A wildly enthusiastic Janin reported the gem field to be absolutely genuine, and news swept the nation and beyond. Even the lending banking firm of Rothschild, which had financed the British government's purchase of the Suez Canal from Egypt for four million pounds, expressed interest. When he wasn't picking up gemstones, Janin busied himself staking out 3,000 acres of land at the site. His investor paid fee was $2,500, but he'd also been offered 1,000 shares of the company at $10 a share. Upon his return to New York, he sold his shares for $40 apiece, a $30,000 profit. Around the point, the Kentuckians Arnold and Slack cashed out. Slack's take from the investment totaled 100000 Arnold's 550000 minus expenses. Together, they bilked their backers of $650,000, million in 2020 currency. Slack promptly dropped out of sight, and Arnold returned to Elizabethtown, Kentucky with his family. The entire affair was arguably the biggest swindle in the history of Frontier West. Arnold and Slack had salted the Mesa, which straddled the Wyoming-Colorado border, about 44 miles south of Rock Springs, Wyoming Territory, with low-grade diamonds and other gemstones. To this day, the Mesa is officially marked on the U.S. Geological Survey topographical maps as Diamond Field. Coincidence and first-rate detective work collapsed the hoax. Clarence King, a Yale-educated geologist, was at the time leading the final stages of a U.S. government survey of the mineral, agriculture, and other resources of 80,000 square miles of ground along the 40th parallel of latitude. Their investigation followed a wide swath of land along the Transcontinental Railroad from the Rocky Mountains to the Sierras. King and his crew would already by this time have had a good sense of that part of the West. King's was one of the four surveys, but at the end of the decade would be combined with the U.S. Geological Survey. In October of 1872, one of King's men, geologist Samuel Ammons, encountered Janin aboard a train in California, where Janin showed him several of the diamonds found at the Arnold Slack site. Suspicious, Ammons reported the contact to King, who, equally suspicious, tracked down Janin in San Francisco and interviewed him. Both Ammons and King knew that rubies and sapphires were seldom found exactly where diamonds were. As previously noted, Janin had been blindfolded during the horseback trip from Rollins. King's questions were astute, however, and he made some excellent deductions about the Diamond Fields location. In October of 1872, King organized a party and traveled to Fort Bridger, Wyoming Territory, where his survey team had boarded a number of mules. In bitter cold, they set out east and in about a week reached the Wyoming-Colorado border south of Rock Springs, from which they observed a cone-shaped mountain and a mesa much like those Janin had described, a mountain three and a half miles south of the state line is now aptly called Diamond Peak. Near the mountain, King's party began a search and found a sign claiming water rights in the area, signed by Henry Jannon, confirming that he had found the Arnold Slack site. A short time later, they began to find several gems. Curiously, they didn't find many diamonds, but by the next morning they had found amethyst, spindles, and garnets. King then found a diamond perch precariously on a slender rock, 
How in the world could the stone remain perched for hundreds of years? Upon further observation, King and his group discovered that every anthill on the ridge had a series of tiny holes, perhaps eight inches deep, and made with a stick or some other instrument. At the bottom of each of these holes was a precious gem, obviously fraudulently salted there by whoever dug the holes. The bankers, financiers, mining engineers, and even renowned jeweler Charles Tiffany had been duped, Hall concluded. Once the hoax imploded, it became clear that a shame-faced Charles Tiffany didn't know much about uncut stones. Shannon, too, was hoodwinked, though he didn't stop him from making a tidy profit for his stock sale. Arnold and Slack were both indicted in California for fraud, but never brought to trial. Arnold was sued by investors in the diamond field and settled out of court. Eventually, he became a banker in Elizabethtown and was shot in 1878 by a business rival. While recovering from the gunshot wound, he contracted pneumonia and died six months later. Slack reportedly died in New Mexico in 1896. In 1879, Clarence King was appointed the first director of the United States Geological Survey. In 1881, he was permitted to name his own successor, John Wesley Powell, explorer of the Green in Colorado and Grand Canyon, and one of the great thinkers about the West. A rather unique story on the swindle that took place, and it definitely went far and wide, the people that uh, were taken by this. And I wonder if there are still diamonds out there. Maybe it's a place I want to visit this summer. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. As per the Code of the West, we ride for the brand, and we ride for Wyoming.